1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Tim Cato of The Athletic, and as you would expect, we focus on the Dallas Mavericks, a team that I am having real trouble figuring out, and Tim, well, let's say we help each other on that process, the Luka-Kyrie fit, what the Mavericks need in order to be a potential championship contender in the short term, in the long term, reassessing the Jalen Brunson situation, their young players, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, and much more. I thought it was a really great conversation. Runs about 40 minutes and a lot of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
1: I like to do team specific episodes with the franchises that I'm having the most trouble figuring out, and um that leads me to lean on people who know who know the teams who watch them more than I do who are more connected and the Mavericks are certainly fitting that bill right now. How would you assess uh, Kyrie Irving has played in eleven games since the since the big trade how would you assess not just him if you want I mean if you want to focus there could do that, but more like How the Mavs have been during that time?
0: Man, you came to a guy who uh, is also struggling to figure out the Mavericks right now. Um, I would say that... uh, So we're recording on Thursday, and the Mavericks struggled to beat the Utah Jazz, lost to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, in those two games they really struggled on offense and I think that there is a conversation to be had about the offense what it looks like with Kyrie and Luca I'm more willing to chalk up you know a two-game sample size of bad offense as being an outlier offense has not been the problem since Kyrie arrived in Dallas uh, I don't think that there's any legitimate uh realistic reasons that offense will continue to be a problem for the Mavericks when you put Luca uh, assuming his health I, I do think this this uh, thigh injury that he's dealing with has affected him uh pretty clearly on the court the um, but if if Luca's healthy and if Kyrie is is doing uh, what we expect of him on the court, which he has since he arrived in Dallas in the ten games he's played, I do not expect the offense to be a problem. And again, we can get to that in a little bit. It's been the defense, and the defense it's been horrid. It's it's been horrendous. You know, some of that is Luca, and at times it feels like the team is playing four on five. Um, but but another part of it is is defensive talent, and um, you know, it was always going to be an issue. Um, after the Irving trade, the, the Mavericks didn't have a lot of. Defensive talent, and then they sent out Dory and Finney Smith. Uh they don't have any big wings. Uh they don't have any run protection outside of Maxi Kleba, um, who is working his way back uh from a hamstring surgery, uh, you know, sat out on in, in Wednesday's game uh due to that, but more more, you know, just precautionarily um as, as he works his way back. But overall this this team is is uh you know the the perimeter defense is not stout enough to uh hide the fact that they don't have rim protection the the rim protection is you know the coaching staff is trying to compensate by really packing the paint um which is allowing a lot of open threes corner threes um and and players to kind of get what they want and everything that we saw that was so successful last season for the mavericks uh on the defensive end you know the the cohesion and the rotations it's just it's taken a step back and something that last season already felt a little out of nowhere um you know their their rapid defensive improvement a lot of that has come unraveled uh you know this season and and i think that by far is is what's kind of preventing this team from being you know anything close to a title contender
1: one stat on that is that in in the games which not all of which Kyrie or Luka has played in, the Mavericks are 25th in defense since Kyrie Irving's first game with the Mavs. And I think that's appropriate. Like that isn't to me, it's, uh, oh, opponents are making a ton of tough shots or anything like that. No, I I think the Mavericks have been roughly the sixth worst defensive team during that stretch, and the analogy, the thing that, came, that struck out to me in the first—I've watched the Mavs, of course, plenty since then— um, but the first Kyrie-Luca game was that their defensive kind of talent plus execution, it reminded me actually a lot of last year's Utah Jazz, except that last year's Utah Jazz had Rudy Gobert cleaning up the messes. And the idea is basically there are a lot of different ways that defenses can succeed and fail, but one of them is— how aggressively, how successfully can you prevent penetration? Like how how much can you you could do that by selling out, protect the basket. You could do it by having good one on one defenders. A lot of those, a lot of those sorts of things. You could, with some teams, you could do it by switching. And with the Mavericks, they just—I I don't think they have enough guys. A, they don't have enough guys that are like stout and consistent in those ways but they also have enough places that opponents can choose to attack that especially against opponents that have multiple threats, which some teams of course do, it becomes a situation of mitigating damage rather than preventing it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good summation. Um, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith has probably been their best perimeter defender. Um, Reggie Bullock has not been quite as good this season. Um, Josh Green has had a very strange season but i, I maybe not regress defensively uh and, and clearly he's 22 he has the makings of a very good wing defender um he's above average most nights but he's not spectacular on that end and it just results in you know too much uh, perimeter dribble penetration. And in last season, you know, in this season, they, you know, Jason Kidd likes to double stars, um, which makes sense. They don't have a stopper. And, you know, the rotations to, you know, work around and, and get back in the right places have not been as good. I mean, even in Wednesday's game, I, there was an instance um, where they, they double teamed Brandon Ingram, but it was two small players. And, you know, he just kind of held the ball, surveyed the floor, uh, had two players attached to him, but they weren't. Um, you know, they, they, they couldn't affect him as he basically waited until he found the open guy and made that pass. And it, it was, you know, it was quite literally turning it into a, a, a four on three situation for the Pelicans on offense um, with with, you know, no. You know, no benefit to it. Um,
1: there was sorry, I think- sorry. There was a point uh, later in that game with when I mean, CJ McCollum went totally off. Yet I believe was thirteen straight points towards the end of that game as the Pelicans seized control. And something I noticed was that the doubles were so consistent and not varied that it seemed like they. It's it sort of like. A really predictable um, boss in a video game where it's like, oh well, you know they're going to do this <laughs> yeah. then that, and so then you just you just start to price in like, okay, we do we do this, we do that, and then so it's it's not work like either the, the whole idea in many ways of defense and offense to some extent it's like forcing your opponent into tough choices and so that could be like oh crap you have to guard Luka Doncic one-on-one with a small guy and that's how one of the ways the Mavericks can make teams pay it's the same on the other end and it's like if you if you're not actually putting them into difficulty and they know how to time it they know how to game it like big or they're bringing their best shooter like directly next to him and so the double is coming from this spot and so this guy's gonna have a wide open three like and it's a they're maybe Maybe it's their best available shooter like those sorts of wrinkles are not that hard to discover even in a regular season game
0: ivers did a good job um, basically Trying to uh, tempt teams into you know playing through mismatches in the post with players that are not suited to play through the post. Um, I thought they did that pretty well against DeAndre Ayton again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the most recent uh, matchup between those two teams, but the lack of uh, size with their wings once again. Um, you know especially without Dorian Finney-Smith, they just they don't have tall lineups out there uh, as, as much anymore. And and that shouldn't be the case with Luca as your point guard. But you know too often they've they've conceded a lot of size. Um, you know they don't Maxie gives them slight somewhat more realistic looks at, at two big lineups but um, you know this this lack of size and, and the scrambling that they want to do is, is too often leaving you know just really undersized player players underneath the basket and you know I, I even think Jalen Brunson has hurt them because he he would always at least rotate and be in the right spots he was their leading charge star last season you know that is the sort of thing that allowed the defense to take even though Jalen Brunson obviously has his you know size deficiencies and defensive limitations just just losing one guy who doesn't, you, you know, who always made the right defensive rotations, and you know, replacing them in some ways with Tim Hardaway Jr., who does not do that, um, I, I think that has definitely affected them this season.
1: It's a great point, and it's also a reminder that there are a lot of different ways to be po- helpful, positive, or not negative on defense. And I think Jalen Brunson has done a lot of those, and you can see them benefiting the New York Knicks as well. So the defense, I, I think, to an extent, that will be a challenge. That will be something that this Mavericks team needs to navigate. And we also knew that incorporating, adapting Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving together was going to take time. And any, any two strong players, any two players that can do, even if they're good on ball and off ball It still takes time where I, I mean you're we're still seeing those adjustments i was thinking back to the end of um was i think that was the end of the sun's game where they or was one of them where they weren't getting the other team's bad defenders in the actions but like generally speaking how are you seeing the meshing the synergy of those two stars going so far
0: yeah they aren't doing a lot of uh Kyrie luca pick and rolls um you know which is going to be an auto switch for almost every single team in the league um basically i I've seen more pri- priorities uh, prioritizing for the Mavericks to get, um, you know, more traditional pick and roll coverages and try to get uh, double teams on Luca or, you know, get, uh, you know, get the ball to a, to a cutting roll man and then get defensive rotations going that way. And a lot of ways, Kyrie has basically just, um, you know, when he's on the floor with Luca, he's filled in with the Spencer Dinwiddie role where a lot of the times Luca is initiating on the right side of the floor and Kyrie starts on the left corner or the left wing. And the idea is that, you know, Luca's is going to start the scramble and then get the ball to Kyrie and, and Kyrie can attack against a, um, you know, a, a moving shifting defense uh, in, and, and get into his spots from there. And I, I, I don't think that's the the wrong strategy. You know, I, I think that there are some more sets, some, some DHOs that I think uh, it would be interesting to see. Um, You know, I, I think, I believe it was the sun's game as well, that um there was some, uh there's some pick and roll actions where uh, Dwight Powell came and, and set the screen and then set a screen for Kyrie, you know, coming from the corner and he was able to catch, uh, you know, with a with the big man still showing to Luca, not yet recovered, and so that would give Kyrie kind of a one on two situation where he can navigate the screen. So there has been some things that that, that we're starting to see, and the numbers when Luca and Kyrie are on the floor are just astoundingly good. Uh, probably a little bit worse after the Pelicans game. Um, but, but they, that, that has not been the issue. Uh, now Luca himself, uh, when he's on the floor by himself in a drastic change from what it was, uh, you know, before the Kyrie trade, the offense has not been good, uh, in those minutes. And I'm mostly going to chalk that up to, you know, Luca being, uh, hindered with this injury. Uh, the oppo- uh, opposing, opposing three point percentages have been really high in, in the Luca only minutes. And so there's some random variation to that, but yeah there's there's definitely some adjustment going on there's there's definitely some um cohesion that needs to be built uh which may not be built if luca has to sit out a game or two to to get this you know thigh injury correct um but, you know, that's that's the the focus or the the hope for the rest of the season is that you can build up some synergy between these two players, because like, you know, like I said, you know, when you have two of the top 10 offensive players in the league, it, it should it should be, you know, a matchup nightmare. And you should be getting good shots just about every possession down the court.
1: The the overall stats on it are pretty striking. So the Mavericks have a roughly average defense in the Kyrie plus Luka minutes so far, but they have a plus 9.2 cleaning the glass net rating because they they are they're scoring 1.24 points per possession which is completely ridiculous and so that when you think about the potential gains that could be coming when you think of you know like the the improvements that you get over time and and adaptations that a coaching staff can make and also like theoretically you could say adjusting some of the complementary talent though that could also be adjusting it to have more capable defenders in time like maybe you use the mid-level or whatever on a better defender who is also a worse offensive player like there are of course questions there and and like what i think There have been times watching this Mavericks iteration where you go oh yeah like the that that part is going to work super well and I agree with you the Luka only minutes being below the usual standard now it seems more like not only small sample but non-representative sample and you brought up the Lucas Lucas thigh issue and I want to talk about that in a sec and so the the kind of the one of the theories of the case for the Mavericks was we're so good on offense that you the other part will shake itself out we've seen a lot of teams go to that are approach approach at times over the years hasn't led to a championship yet but it has led to some dangerous teams and so for dallas that like that part of it i would say the early returns are are pretty positive especially when you add in that thigh issue and so the question for you i mean you obviously luco left the game early on wednesday which they eventually fell to the pelicans how like and it seems like he might miss some time now is do you think this has been bothering him for like are we talking about a couple games like a couple weeks like how have you seen it
0: a couple of weeks. He he said that he started feeling it um, the the second game after the All Star break, okay. and so this has been a lingering issue. And to be frank, you know just about since the All-Star break, uh, Luke has been putting up really good numbers, but, you know, I watch every single game of his, in, in, in watching them, he has not had his same level of impact. I, I think probably the best way to describe it is that you know, he's still getting to his spots, but he's not getting to his spots so decisively that defenses are really shifting around him. And you know, he's going to make his difficult floaters, but but he's not um, you know, he's not scaring defenses as much as he usually does, um, even if he's getting off a lot of the, the same passes um, you know there's not as much uh, scrambling happening when Luca has the ball when Luca's driving uh, just because he's a little bit more labored getting into the paint um, I, I think if if there's one other reason that the the Luca only minutes have been a little bit worse offensively it's that um, you know I think it comes from the lineups that Jason Kidd is playing and you know you talked about the team you know getting a little bit worse on offense by signing you know looking for defensive players in the offseason I, I do think that's probably you know the way that the, the defense improves but Jason Kidd has tried to do that with the roster that he has. Sure. It's just that the roster isn't able to do that. You know, the team went inside Justin holiday um, and they've been playing Frank Nilakina. and both of those players are frankly, not that good. You know, we'll, we'll see what ho- holidays probably has a place in the rotation. You know, if he can hit a few shots, he's a capable defender. Uh, Frank Nilakina's defense has not been as impressive this season and he has been horrendous offensively. He has been, you know, he's it, it does not seem like, like his, his decision-making and, and his, time on the court, he just seems a good half-second slow at all times whenever the ball's in his hands. And, um, you know, the Mavericks had options and, and chances to improve that, um, but they they didn't. And this is the the roster that they have. And, and Jason Kidd has been very stubborn about just trying to flood the floor with, you know, his theoretically defensive first players. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the right approach. And, you know, it's, it's a very I- idealistic approach. Uh, I'll give him that. You know, I, I think that he's right that you got to defend in the postseason if you want to go anywhere that they they you know if this team were to be a title contender this season which I think that ship has sailed but it would have come from the team scraping together an average defense of some sort to go along with the offense that um, you know just was so good that it didn't matter who you put around Luca but it might matter a little bit and you know, the New Orleans game was a was a really good example of that, where New Orleans built their lead when Justin Holiday and Frank Ntilikina were on the court, um, I believe, along with Luca And I
1: think so, yeah, that's what I remember.
0: And then there was a big fourth quarter run, and that was when the Mavericks went down about twenty. And Jason Kidd was like, "All right, I'll play all my offense-first players." And Jaden Hardy is a rookie who is not a good defender. Does you know? He certainly gives up some of those winning margins just because he's young. You know, he's twenty and he's um, you know still learning what this league is like. But he can score and he can shoot, and he's one of the you know the only other player on the roster who can reliably get to the rim um, you know, beat his man and be a threat at the rim, a very willing shooter. Um, you know, the moment he got introduced to that game, uh, you know, it, it took him like two minutes to get his first, uh, blow by layup. And he, I, I believe he finished four or five shooting, um, something like nine or 10 points. I uh, had a hellacious dunk, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, as, as much as I'm, I'm curious about him as a prospect, I did not realize that, you know, a six, four combo guard, you know, was going to just be, you know, hammering on, a who was it? It was, um, uh, it was it was the Pelicans ro- uh, rookie uh, tr- uh, Trey Trey Murphy. Uh, who's got size on him? And mm-hmm. he just went up and and cocked it back and 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 got it over him. Um, you know, with a couple steps, which was which was really impressive. He's a really talented player uh, who probably does more to affect the team's ability to win than Frank Nilekina. Uh Davis Bertans was another player playing in that stretch. And again, obviously, Davis Bertans has a lot of defensive issue. He's going to be targeted. He is not the type of player you can have in the rotation as you make a deep playoff run. But I don't know if the Mavericks can be anything but pragmatic right now when they're eighth in the Western Conference when they're losing games that you know against teams that are floundering right now I I do think that that kid's stubbornness to play the way that he thinks in the postseason he's talked a lot about the regular season being a uh, you know a, a test tube about it being you know a dress rehearsal I I don't know I don't know if you can do that I don't know if you can do that if the Mavericks are where they are right now in this in the standings and if the season is going along like it is because you know these supposedly defensive first players are not really helping the defense while they're also hurting the offense and so as much as most of this uh, you know offensive struggles with Luka um, you know on the on the floor by himself you know in the past couple games even when he's paired with Kyrie as much as those struggles are mostly about Luka to me some of it is that the lineup decision. I think need to change going forward.
1: Your description of it as idealistic, I think, is really on point. And it's the the idea that you think about what this elements need without thinking of the players that provide those elements is is so essential because you have to play the cards you're dealt, but that also means properly evaluating those cards, like that. That's the, it's the you know the sequencing and everything else. And and Hardy in particular has been, I think he's been better for them than I anticipated. A young players are almost never positive, but B, like ha- we know from watching the Mavericks over the years that a capable aggressive second side player who can do things with the ball in their hands can work really well next to Luka Doncic, and ideally that player can shoot well. I mean Jaden Hardy so. Small sample, of course. He's about 400 minutes played, but he's making 36% of the threes, taking seven per 36, which is a great rate. And he's, there's some difficulty in that shot mix. There, depending on which shot we're talking about. And so the difference between having players, and it's so funny, we're talking about this a lot with the Pelicans game, the Pelicans play some very limited offensive players as well. And like that gives teams easier outs. It allows them to shift their personnel to the bigger threats. And it, I this has come up a lot with guys like Isaac Akuro and Lamar Stevens. I watched the Cavs last night. It's part one, bringing up those guys where, I think sometimes perimeter players who are very limited offensively, because of where they're positioned, it draws less ire and attention from media members, from fans alike, when that's actually the bigger sabotage than, oh, you're playing a traditional center. It's like, yeah, that that there are weaknesses to that, but generally speaking, those players are really important defensively. They're doing these other things. They can get offensive rebounds, but it's like limited offensive perimeter players, They they muck everything up
0: they do they do we we saw it uh in the phoenix game as well um we were just referencing two games repeatedly for for the mavericks but you know when when phoenix was was playing um uh, you know, they, the way that game shifted is Ish Wright came in in the, in the second half when he was able to hit some threes and, you know, they were not getting that from the fifth starter, um, whoever they played there or they played Terrence Ross, who was just cooked on defense, um, you know, multiple possessions in a row. And, and, you know, the Mavericks actually look okay defensively when they can only guard or when they only have to guard two thirds of the floor and can ignore somebody, you know, in the corner. Um, you know, but that's, you know, the same applies to them. If, if Frank Nilekina is in the corner and nobody's guarding him, um, it does suddenly become a lot easier to guard even Luka Doncic you know who is uh, you know as as good as we realize and uh, you know in in the most you know one of the more unstoppable players in the league one of the most unstoppable players in the league let's let's not mince words here Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I I think I think that's that's a that's a big part of it Um, I have to I have to bring up Christian Wood here I agree with Jason Kidd's overall view of him as a player I do not think that Christian Wood is a starter or a third option Um, or a player who could receive heavy minutes on a title contending team. I do not think that he does enough in his minutes to affect the team's ability to win. But when we talk about this idea of, uh, you know, idealism versus pragmatism, there are times this season where he was the only other player, not named Luka Doncic who could score the ball, who could, you know, affect the way that, that defenses played against the Mavericks. And he probably should have got more minutes during certain stretches. Um, I I don't know if the Mavericks... You know, if they came into the season, announced him a starter, all of this stuff, I don't know if anything would be different. You know, they've worked hard to turn him into a, you know, just an average defensive player this season. And he's had a few good stretches here and there. He's not a good defensive player, you know, and we both know that offensive bigs, um, offensive centers who are not defensive building blocks who want 20 plus million dollars per year. It's it's the least valuable archetype of a player pretty much in the NBA right now. That said, pragmatically there are probably times the season that Christian Wood should have played more even if I totally understand where the Mavericks are coming from when they announced him you know as someone who was coming off the bench when they wanted him to be kind of more of a Bobby Portis for them because they wanted to build a title contender the problem is they just don't have the talent and still don't have the talent even after the Kyrie trade to really you know competently build the team that they envision um, you know being a, a true contender with Luca uh, you know at the head of it um, for the postseason and, and that has been another issue this season um you know just or, or another representation of, of kind of the struggle that jason kidd has been very stubborn about this season
1: one operating theory along that point is the idea that Dallas and there are many teams that fit this description has a lot of players that would make sense like if if there were people that could slot above them in the pecking order you know the oh, idea man. And, Danny, and
0: i've been saying this for like five years you're exactly right
1: <laughs> and so that but the problem is those players are really hard to get and what especially if you're limited on picks or just supply like almost every player who's good enough to be better than christian wood better than moxie Kleba isn't available and you, you you, cultivating that out of, you know, out of a second round pick or a late first or a mid-level exception, it's hard to do. And that's, it's a hard threshold to meet. I I want to talk about Kyrie, but I actually want to ask you one question first and it's something that's not at me and you're probably not going to be able to answer it because I don't know that anybody can. I don't want to get into the the mistakes and the sins of the early part of the Jalen Brunson negotiations, you know, not extending him in the early stages, but based on the reporting that is out there, it does seem like the Mavericks never even really made an offer that was truly close to the Knicks what the Knicks were putting out there and I mean even if they got close it was probably reluctantly and maybe after I that part of it we can I, I think we can kind of table unless you unless you disagree with that characterization um the part that I'm interested in is just conceptually knowing what you know if the Mavericks were either offered something similar or exceeded it in terms of years or dollars per year do you think at that juncture so we're talking more of June of last year do you think that they that Brunson would have said yes or do you think he was already basically out the door
0: it's a hard one to answer uh, especially because i think it's connected to the fact that they didn't offer him you know these extensions i i don't it, it seems clear to me that whoever was the driving force behind it that 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 jalen brunson did not feel valued in dallas he did not feel valued um by the team not wanting to extend him before the season because they wanted to keep op- open the option of trading him he did not feel valued during the season um and then you know, the Mavericks, as you said, you know, I, I do believe it's correct. They did not really try to match or exceed what the Knicks ended up paying him. They did not value him to that level. It, so it's, it's really hard to say, well, what if they had offered him more money? Would Jalen Brunson have come back? A big part of the reason that Jalen Brunson did not want to come back is because they weren't willing to, you know, like he didn't sure. feel that value uh, and he knew that it, even if he did sign that there was a good chance that the Mavericks uh, you know, at the next deadline uh, might be looking to shop him. And you know, that that he would be, you know, if he resigned on a contract that was, you know, amenable to what the Mavericks thought he was worth, um, you know, and let's even say the Knicks couldn't clear as much money and the Mavericks offered him, you know, that that Fred Van Vliet money as as they, uh, you know, uh, talked about or, or, you know, shared with reporters was kind of what they valued him at. That would have been, you know, to keep him on the team, but also to, may, you know, retain him as an asset to try to improve the team at a later point. And so, you know, it's it's it, there's some chicken and egg here, there's some you know where where does where does this you know where does the disrespect start where does the lack of desire to return to Dallas start um it's all kind of a messy blur together line that um you know I I don't know if you know they're you know even years from now when people are willing to talk about it I don't know if we can be completely sure um exactly how it could have gone differently but I do think it could have gone differently I do think that the Mavericks certainly could have Jalen Brunson on their team um if they had you know, done things differently at one point or another, um, and and yeah, if if, if Luka Doncic leaves the Mavericks here in a few years, I I think you have to point at at last summer and and Brunson leaving as um, probably where it all started.
1: Let's transition from last summer to the coming summer, because it certainly appears that while there were plenty of reasons for both the Nets and Kyrie Irving to have tension, let's put it that way, um, one of the points that led to Irving being frustrated with the Nets was their unwillingness to offer slash agree to an extension at terms that he was willing to do. And the trade structure makes it hard, you know, like the extended trade rules and everything else makes it harder for Irving to do something now, like even if they, even if both sides wanted to. And so it it, I think that's important context for thinking about what comes next. And so there are circumstances, I think, of Norman Powell with the Blazers as the most obvious recent example where a team acquired a pending unrestricted free agent with the idea that even though they couldn't sign them to a contract, they kind of knew where the terms were going to be. Completely legal, by the way, for anybody who's a conspiracy theorist, CPA type person no, that's not a problem at all. Like, you can do that. You can't ink the paper. It's not an enforceable deal, but you can have an understanding. And my question is, we the return that the Mavericks gave was definitely less than for a superstar player. I mean, because Kyrie Irving is... The least is, is unusual in a variety of ways. Is, do you think that there is basically do you think he's going to have a more open or a more closed unrestricted free agency as of right now? I
0: mean I, I can't imagine um, you know and we're just talking logically here that the Mavericks don't give up you know the limited number of assets that they have available to go get Kyrie Irving and let him walk for nothing. That's not the plan. Um, you know they, they, they are committing a future to him or at minimum the you know they feel very confident in, in the ability to, to sign and trade him this summer. Um you know at minimum that, that has to be what they, they believe as, as kind of a fallback option. Um with the idea that they're with the more likely idea being that they're they're gonna resign him and that, that he's part of their future and that once you have Kyrie um you know it's a little bit easier to build around Kyrie and Luca just because you know you have the top two in place um you know than it is to go get the the second star. And so um, Um, You know there's there's certainly been buzz and you know enough of it that you know using kind of my you know ability to 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 read into things as as a journalist is you know what smoke is real is there enough of it that that we should be paying attention yeah I I think that we we should pay a little bit of attention to the fact that people keep you know suggesting Kyrie might be interested in in LA still Um, you know there's even been buzz of of Kyrie and Anthony Davis uh, being a possible sign of trade that seems ludicrous to me like like just uh, logically speaking, certainly if if you know were to become available, that's something you would do in a heartbeat. Anthony Davis is about the best fitting player you can imagine next to to Luca, but that that feels so far fetched. I you know I'm just going to bring it up to to mention it and, and move on from. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know you, you don't trade them to to not to not resign them, you know. Uh, you you don't give up the the limited assets that that you have you know the Mavericks will have a couple first rounders um that are able that they're able to move um you know on on deadline night you know after or sorry on 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 the night of the trade you know once once the uh once the uh, gosh the draft
1: well, yeah what's the basically what's the there draft occurs then Thank that you. that shifts their obligations and you can even like draft occurs that can be the the kind of the finish right. point you could have negotiated a little bit ahead we actually see this a lot in the league right now where it's like the people oh you can't trade first well you can trade it first once the draft is done and you could that means you can negotiate let's call it the two weeks before
0: but yeah i think i think the best way to look at the mavericks is that you know they're trying to build a team around Kyrie and luca and there's a whole lot of questions that go into that um but uh you know if that's where they're at. It's, it's at least, you know, a, a clear you know it's clearly the the second most you know the most talented player that luke has ever played with is you know he's he clearly fits into that that second option and and you know the the talent level you need from from the second most talented player on a on a potential championship team if they can get the right pieces around him. and so i think i think that's the best way to look at the mavericks going into the summer
1: the other thing that works in dallas's favor the lakers are incidentally a part of this is that Kyrie it, it appears that he has valued financial security and i mean you could argue that some of the decisions that he has made in independent of those negotiations directly run against that but that's a separate point for a separate time but as I look at the landscape and something of course I do for the athletic is you know like the teams that have cap space the teams that have the the wherewithal and there aren't any to me that's especially with everything that's happened that scream like oh they're a real threat are there teams that could theoretically work their way in the mix of course are there teams that if Kyrie Irving were willing to take a significant financial sacrifice would come in the mix yeah just like anybody else but that you know that team of the, oh, the Mavericks should be really scared of X. Like, I mean, I've, of course, I wrote about this with Kevin Durant back in the day in 2016. Like, there, there isn't that looming team right now, especially with the Lakers acquiring Vanderbilt and D'Angelo Russell. And- a player, a third player, I'm forgetting. Oh, and Malik Beasley, depending on what happens with him at the moment. they could make something work. And so that that doesn't guarantee anything, especially not with Kyrie Irving, especially with somebody who has seemed committed to different places shortly before spurning them. And that is his want, if he, if that's the way he wants to handle things. Like he can do what he can do that, but that is a very positive thing for the Mavericks. Not definitive. But informative and like I mean, we'll we'll have to see where things go. Uh the last thing, because I know your time is um your time is valuable and you have a lot going on right now, is you watch this team closely, you're of course connected, you're talking talking with personnel involved. What is there anything that comes to mind that is that you think would be worthwhile to convey to people who care about the Mavericks more in the league wide context but don't get to track them as closely? Like we talked about Jaden Hardy a little bit, like players or circumstances that are that might that might be be harder to it's harder to catch if you're not watching them as much as you do.
0: I, I wanted to bring up Josh Green earlier mm-hmm. and this seems like a good time to do that. Um, just last month, just in, in February, he had about his best month as a professional. He was looking like he was directly on path to be, you know, one of those really good dynamic three and D wings who, you know, gives up a little bit in three-point shooting and a little bit in in defense, um, mostly with with Josh Green just because of his size. Um, but makes up for it because he's a dynamic player who can, you know, attack a closeout, who can do some things with the ball in his hands. I, I think, and I'm curious if you agree, but you know, you look at teams like Boston and, you know, you look at Uh, You know, real contenders around the league. Like, that is where. 3 and D role players are going, where it's not enough to, you know, just you know, hit your corner threes at 45%. In fact, if you can only hit them at 40%, it's it's probably better that you have a little bit of bounce off the dribble, that you you can just do a little bit, you can create a little bit. Um and he's really struggled over the past few weeks. And and that has been another part of the of the Mavericks struggle since the uh, trade deadline is that, you know, everything that he showed um, you know, this season and, and especially in the past couple months um has reversed to to a player who is really struggling to be able to create his own shot, you know, even if it's an assisted drive, you know, he is he's not getting clear looks at the rim. Um, his three point shooting, you know, he still knocks down some threes, but he's he's hesitant to take them, and and he's not such a good defender um, as we talked about earlier. That you know, it kind of covers up uh, a little bit of offensive um, instability on his end, and so that that has been one thing that that has uh, hurt the team. Um, beyond that you know it's it's uh it's a team that you know like you said earlier it feels like they have a lot of players who would be really good fifth to eighth best players on a championship team but that third fourth fifth after Luca and Kyrie is what they've been missing for a long time and finding ways to fill in those gaps um and just make this rotation a little bit more balanced and and for it to make some more sense is you know what this summer is going to be for them and you know uh, assuming they re-sign Kyrie which is I really think what you know this future all hinges on. um, You know that's that's really going to be the 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 priority for the Mavericks
1: on Josh Green. I've really liked um, the times when he's been more assertive in transition. I think that's worked really well, and and that's another place where bounce, both the generally athletically, but also to an extent off the dribble, like kind of a a a flawed four can actually work really well for a player like that. And with Green, a key question is going to be, you know, it's always this relative condition. Like he's making his threes, but can he take them enough and it? that teams are going to actually guard him and like be there, be there all the time because that's th- it's so funny when like some thresholds are are more evaluate are, are easier to evaluate than others. But it sometimes and it can be a lagging indicator. Like sometimes guys get guarded out there long after their shooting has deteriorated. But with with Green, I, I I've, I'm impressed with the progress. There just needs to be more of it there. And I agree with you. Like the it, the on ball stuff looked better about a month ago six weeks something in that range than it does right now he is only 22 it can be in fits and starts they're also like josh green is having to to deal with incorporating a a big new player too and that can that can happen and and like something i bring up a lot um this came up i did a podcast with eric kareen about the raptors and scotty Barnes, is that development is not linear it's not exponential it's fits and starts and it goes up and it goes down and so like i think of green as somebody who has the potential to be a lot of those things but not a certainty. And you'd rather have potential than nothing but it the mavericks like being so present and near present focused puts a little bit more pressure on green than i think is necessarily helpful but some players react to that pressure and do well and so i i ho- distinctly hope that josh green will be one of those guys
0: yeah i think i think that's all fair and you know i i think he will be fine um you know I, I, whether he breaks out of this wall that he's hitting this season he didn't really play his rookie year so you know if, if you really want you could say this is a sophomore slump um you know after being so promising for so much of the season um you know i i think he will be fine i think he will be a very good role player uh going forward if there's any concern I have it's that when he was playing his best um his ability to get to the rim was a little bit odd, I guess. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of has that thing that you know, like all the Raptors have, like all the Raptors players, where he doesn't beat his defender to the rim. He beats them to ten feet, and then he does a bunch of pivots and somehow gets a shot from five feet. And he's yeah. really good at converting that. He was not good around the rim in college, and that was a big concern for him. He still doesn't, you know, he's got better at making layups. He has very clearly improved in that area, but the his lack of ability to get. All all the way to the rim at all times um, is it's just something I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Um, he's a yeah. really good passer when he is able to get into spots to make passes, but he still doesn't, you know, always uh, do that. Uh, you know, lately he's been driving himself into, you know, Basically, being like you know in the air under the rim with nowhere to pass to, trying to thread like a really tricky um you know highlight pass that that doesn't come off. And so again, I am I am optimistic about his future in the NBA. He's still very young. He was young when he was drafted, and so you know I, I think that that he will be fine in the long t- uh you know in the long term. But the it's possible that you know a combination of him being further scouted uh you know his his struggles to you know, perhaps adjust to Kyrie, like you mentioned, and, and then just somewhat of a wall or a slump that he's hitting um, is not something that's going to be fixed this year. And if it isn't, then I think the Mavericks' ability to, you know, even be, you know, feisty in the playoffs is definitely diminished.
1: One stat that I like to look at here is what proportion of a guy's twos are around the basket. And for Josh Green, it's about half. You'd like for that to be higher because the it, some of it is the, you know, the, the, trope that people say with analytics of mid-ranger is bad. But it's like, yeah, people don't convert him at a high rate. But also that can show the assertiveness, the aggressiveness that you're talking about. And so for right this year for Josh Green, he's taking about 27% of his shots – in the restricted area and then 20% from floater range and it's hard to make shots at a high rate so it's hard to make shots at a high rate from floater range and so ideally and this is one of the things with strength with confidence with getting a more a more aggressive handle that can happen is you convert you convert shift some of those shots from one place to another and that is going to be something i watch with him
0: yeah yeah i think i think that's uh the the key thing for him
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Absolutely. Always happy to do it.
1: Thanks again to Tim Cato for taking the time to come on. You can and definitely should read his excellent work at The Athletic. I love his perspective on Dallas. And he's done some great work outside of the Mavs as well. So you can check out his author page and everything else there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Cato. That's T-I-M underscore C-A-T-O. Really appreciated having him on and his perspective on, on this team. I thought in particular the stuff about Josh Green and... Party and the Kyrie situation. I think all that's so fascinating to me and how the Mavericks can improve internally and externally their overall talent level when you don't have spending power and you don't really have great draft assets. I mean, they have some, but they don't have great stuff is a real challenge. It is a different part of team building that sometimes gets less attention because it's less wide open it's less intriguing but those decisions will make major differences like of course the decision to acquire Kyrie Irving in the first place if you want to support the show there are a lot of different things you could do you can subscribe and download every episode whatever podcast player you want Spotify Apple wherever real GM radio will never come out on a specific day of the week because my availability guest availability is always going to dictate the show there you can also help other people find the show that's word of mouth that's leaving a rating review in your podcast player and hopefully, you know, the single episode or you think the series in general, we really appreciate that. This podcast has been around a long time. There are still people are like, oh, I didn't know you do something other than dunked on. And I do. And that's this. And I love doing it. You can also check out my other work dunked on and dunked on prime are of course still going strong nate and i have started our position rankings which are always a lot of fun and we'll be doing those basically until the the end of the regular season then we will be doing 15 and 60s like normal and gamers and we'll start off season previews at some point that's probably not going to be super soon that might be more a little bit more playoffy but we'll have to see um on that and then of course we'll get into draft work too so It's always good to subscribe And the Dunked on Prime Network Is huge now With Nate's podcast With John Hollinger Dan Feldman's excellent work Seth Partnos, Nerd Noshes Which are great So you can definitely Check that out I also will have Written work at The Athletic I still have a couple Pieces in process Of actually talking With editorial About which one To prioritize Because I have two, two, two that are Kind of in the early stages And so it's like Which one do I write first And so hopefully Those will both be ready In the next two weeks I'm not 100% sure It just depends on How much time I have And how much flow I can get with either of them, so keep an eye on that, and that's the reason you can follow me on Twitter and everything else, um, so you can see those things when they come to pass. Also, we are going to be doing one more NBA strategy stream, so that's where Nate and I call games on League Pass. That is going to be Tuesday. It is going to be lakers thunder should be a really fun one um even if the lakers are a little bit shorthanded, ad has been awesome lots to to watch there and you can also ask questions using the hashtag nba strategy stream get them on the air on league pass which is pretty cool and it helps us out because it gives us something to talk about which we're never struggling for but we do appreciate as always if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danielarue nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is an absolute promise. I'm trying to get better at replying. I admit, though, that that's not the, the focus necessarily of that. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.